is a world premiere. This is a world premiere. I done been through a whole lot. Trial, tribulation, but I know God. Satan wanna put me in a bow tie. Pray that the holy water don't go dry, yeah, yeah. As I look around me, so many motherfuckers wanna down me. But they don't make them never drown me. In front of a dirty double mirror, they found me. And I love myself. The world is a ghetto, big guns and dickies. This is Real Talk with Ben Tompkins, presented by Four Roses. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. Good to have you back in, my friends. And first of all, I just want to say congratulations. Has anybody told that to you recently? Have you heard that lately? Congratulations, guys. We made it. Like, we made it. Those days when we were stuck in the house, in the quarantine, thinking this is the craziest shit that I've ever seen, what's about to happen next, this is some shit out straight out of a horror movie, like, for the most part, last weekend, this past weekend, felt kind of normal again, and it felt really good. Like, those days are behind us, right? And for the first time in a long time, I woke up this week, and I thought to myself, you know, that really felt like a normal weekend. Like, NFL week one... We had college football, Russell Westbrook getting eliminated early from the playoffs. Like, this was a pretty normal weekend, and it felt really good, and it felt really good. So I hope you guys are feeling all right. I hope you're drinking your Four Roses bourbon, and welcome back in, because we have Uber Stories Part 9. So I've got a handful of Uber Stories, and then uh, towards the end of this, on the back half, some college football stuff. Louisville ripping off a nice win to open up their season, so some stuff on that plus the rest of the ACC, even take an early peek at some lines this weekend, okay? I'll make my pick for Louisville and Miami. And just think, guys, a week from now, SEC football starts, so it's getting to be about that time where I dust off the old Benny's Pick segment and start handing out some winners. Now, if you'll remember, last year, we had a very good year. We had a very good year, and we're going to hope to keep that rolling. It's a weird year, covid different schedules. I haven't, I mean, it's just like, yeah, we got, we're, we're dealing with a lot more this year. Um, a lot less opportunities to kind of feel like, okay, I have a pretty good idea based on what, uh, last year was. And then this, it's just a crapshoot. So, um, but we're going to do it and it's going to be fun. And I will have that at the back end of a lot of these podcasts, like, um, you know, Thursdays or, or Fridays, excuse me, um, Fridays we do interviews and I'll probably put like the Benny's picks, tape it during the week, you know, Thursday or Friday, and then stick that at, at the end of the interviews. Um, because Tuesdays are just kind of too early to make picks, you know, cause that line sharpens up and you, you know, you just, I used to think if you get it early on in the week that it would be better, you know? So then if the line moves away from you, you got it where you want it. Right. But ultimately um, it's moving for a reason, and uh, you know, the longer that you wait and watch, then the sharper it's going to get. So we'll make picks on Fridays. We'll do Benny's picks, bring that back, have a little bit of sports in here just sprinkled in, you know, and, and, and that's kind of like, like, man, I love college football. I love it to death. It's, it is my favorite sport by far out of any of the sports that I watch. College football, NFL, a close second, big football guy. Um, but but college football is like my bread and butter, so I can't not 
host a podcast, host a show, and, you know, wade into some college football stuff here and there. And I think, you know, college football is definitely, like, my strongest suit. Um, You know, when you start getting into, like, you know, you look at these guys on ESPN or Fox Sports, and outside of Colin Cowherd or Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman, like, those guys, I don't know how they do it. Their brain must just retain so much random information about so many different sports and teams, and it's amazing. Like, they, they are, there's a reason that they're the best of the best. You know, there's a reason that those guys come a dime, not a dime a dozen. Uh, what's the opposite of a dime a dozen? Needle in a haystack? I guess that works. Sure. So there we go. Uh, but there's a reason that those guys get paid millions and millions of dollars and everybody looks up to them and that's what people are trying to get to. But to get there is really hard. It's really hard. Most of the people that you see on ESPN, on Fox Sports, like, they, they specialize in one or two areas, right? College football has always been my strongest suit. It's the one that I'm most passionate about. It's the one that I'm most interested in. And this just wouldn't be real talk if I wasn't talking college football somewhere. But I'm going to do those at the end okay, of either the Uber stories or the interviews. Like most of the time, I think it'll probably be Benny's picks on the back end of the interviews on Fridays. And then, you know, Tuesdays, um, you know, we do Uber stories. And that's really what people, I think, were were asking me for when I was on air doing a sports show. They were like, hey, Benny T., you're okay at sports. We want the Uber stories. Like we want the random, we want the weird, we want the motivational, the inspirational, we want the funny. Like give us that shit because we can't get it anywhere else. So that's what I'm doing, right? But on the back end of these, that's where we'll spend some time talking about some sports stuff, what happened over the weekend, um, what's coming up in the week, stuff like that. So um, we'll sprinkle that in and uh, that's just how we're going to continue to go about this thing, man. We can recap real quick. Um, so this is this is something that's new to me. Okay, uh, a deload week. Have you heard about this? You know what I'm talking about. Have you heard about this? You've heard about this, right? Those late night talk show hosts always do shit like that when they introduce new topics. But deload week. Deload week is basically if you work out for an entire month, then take a week that you're not necessarily taking off. Because you're still going to the gym, you're still kind of keeping that same routine, and you're still working out, you're still lifting, but you're doing things with much lower weight, and you're really just focusing and concentrating on good form, getting a good you know, getting a good tension, get, getting some good tension in those muscles, and uh, that's basically it, man, is just... This is a deload week, and as much as it is like physically, like your body just needs that. And I and I I've never I had never started like to incorporating that into my workout routines, but as I have over the last four months now, I can tell you that it makes a big difference. And when you do allow your body to rest, and you're going to, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I'm, I'm a badass or anything like that. I mean, I kind of, I'm not gonna. Lie. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, but uh, you know, when you p- kind of push your body to the limits as often as I do, and as willingly as I do, because I'm a sucker for the pain and I love it. Okay, and I got goals that I'm reaching for right now. But when you do that, your body, you know, just those one or two off days that you take during the week. Like, whoever feels as if that one off day, 
your body is fully recovered. Like the next day that you go into stuff after that off day during your week or if it's the weekend or whatever, you're probably going to feel a little bit of tightness and soreness still even even after having, you know, 24 hours completely out of the gym. So uh, a deload week, it's, it's really good, man. It's really good. Let your body kind of adjust and then the next week, that's when you can really start to push it again. So I just had a deload week, and I really, I really practiced it um, to the fullest extent of it. You know, it wasn't just in the gym. Um, I took last week kind of off. Uh, it's just been a crazy last three weeks, man. Just going, going hard. Just like 50, 55, 60 hour weeks. So I was just like, you know what? We're just gonna take it easy this week. Focus a lot on the podcast. Focus a lot on. Uh, just making sure, just checking in, you know, that's a really important thing, we don't talk about that or do that enough, but just, you need those days to check in, they call them mental health days for a reason, right, I mean, that's equally as important as you going to the gym and and getting a good workout, so look, I, I just spent five weeks breaking down a deload week, but it was a completely foreign concept to me, I had never thought, um, of, of, of like taking a week strategically and being like, okay, I'm going to lift and look super weak in the gym, you know, doing curls with 15 pound dumbbells, right. Or bench pressing and, and like maxing out at 135. But, but that, you know what, who cares? Who cares? No one, that's the thing, man. Like, no one knows where you're at in your workout. No one knows where you're at in life. So don't don't be insecure if you go to the squat rack and there's a guy next to you putting up 405, just banging them out, and you load up just a 45 on each side, and you're like, you know what? This is my deload week. Like, they don't know, so who cares? Fuck it, all right? So that was last week, and really because I wasn't driving as much, like last week and weekend, it let me do things that, uh, like like we were talking about, like that normality of, of being like, wow, here's a weekend where I've got college football Saturday, I've got NFL on Sunday, and I really just took that as an opportunity to kind of veg out a little bit, just to kind of blow off some steam, check back in, and uh, it was really great, man. It was really great. Friday night, I went up to see a friend who's in law school at NKU, and we grabbed some pizza, and we really, it's fun. So because he's in law school, and because I am like, I, I don't know, man, I, I love law. Like, I, I think I could probably, I, th- I honestly think I can make a good lawyer. Like, I really do. Um, I don't get bored by it. I love writing. I can write like a lawyer. In fact, like, it was like some kind of a weird fetish of mine. When I took, like, media law classes and stuff at the University of Kentucky, I used to love those classes because it let me write like a lawyer. And lawyers, lawyers will write difficult because it they because they can and they try to make it sound as smart as they possibly like they they try to make themselves sound as smart as they possibly can but then when you actually start doing it you're like wow this is kind of fun like look what i just wrote and it sounds exactly like a <laughs> you know like a supreme court justice wrote this so i kind of feel like i'm like one of the guys or one of the girls now right and uh it's kind of fun to f- to feel like that so i i don't know i i, I just I'm, I'm getting off track again here we go uh but i i just i enjoy that i really enjoy that so when i go up and see my buddy who's in law school and he starts telling me these discussions that they're having in class and it's a much different kind of a class right uh because you don't have as many people in class, and he tells me about the kind of discussions they're getting into in class, 
I'm super interested in that. Like that's I find that really fascinating. And we just started to go down these rabbit holes uh, of discussions that he had had in class with their professor and with the other students where um, he's like, you know, who do you sue in this case? Like who who has to pay for this? You know, and and you start to break it down and, and we start to go back and forth with it. And he's like, yeah, but um, that's all great. But that's not the way that the law is written. Like, that's not how it goes. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. It was really good. Uh, good to see him. Saturday, watched a lot of college football. Well, actually, some college football. I mean, there really wasn't that many good teams that I was interested in watching. So, I watched the Louisville game. Um, we'll talk about that at the back end of the podcast. But um, And then, uh, my girlfriend and I, we had a s'mores night. Like, her mom made chili, and we had s'mores. I don't know why. So we, when we went on that camping trip, remember we went on a camping trip to the Gorge a couple weeks ago? We didn't bring any s'mores stuff. And I guess it, it was because it would have been kind of tough to put that in our backpacks and, and walk and like, you know, the graham crackers get smashed, the marshmallows are flat, like that kind of would have sucked, right? Um, so we ended up just building a fire in her living room and making some s'mores. And I hadn't had s'mores in a long time. And uh, it, it brought me back to some Sandlot vibes, right? That was that was kind of a cool, just a, just a, just a little date night, you know? It was, it was fun. This is the type of shit that we're doing nowadays. It's good. It's good stuff, right? Uh, Sunday, I, I, I got a grill on Sunday. So I got a grill. Um, dude, I, if you eat like a lot of, if you try to eat healthy stuff and you don't have a grill, it makes it really tough. I mean, you can pan fry a lot of stuff you know, your veggies and and stuff like that. But like I had been eating baked chicken from the oven for like the last few months. And I I just, I just like, I've reached my boiling point. Like I'm like, I I can't do this anymore. I can't do, baked chicken is disgusting. Like it's good every once in a while if it's like a dish, some breadcrumbs on it, but just straight up chicken out of the bag, stick it in there with some seasoning. Like it, it, oh my God, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. So I'm like, okay, I've reached, I've reached my breaking point. I need a grill. And uh, I, I, one came into my possession, okay, not like it fell off a truck or anything, mom, mom, it fell off a truck, no, it was uh, my girlfriend's, they had an extra one, the wheels are broken, but we uh, we got it over here and set it up, and uh, my brother, it was perfect timing, because my brother and his friend, my friend, uh, our friend Bo, they had gone hunting, and I, I don't know if it was quail or dove, it was one of those two, uh, but they had shot like 30 of them. And they were like, oh, dude, this is perfect timing. We literally have all of this, like, bird breast. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was quail or dove, I don't, you know. But but they were like, we have all these bird breasts, um, so why don't we, like, make these? And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. So they wrapped them in bacon, and they put some jalapenos and some cream cheese and stuff in the middle of them, and we grilled them. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're just, like, sitting around eating these and some sweet potato fries watching NFL Week 1 all Sunday long. It was a great weekend, man. It was a great weekend. And then and then also really random, I'll get, like, uh, I don't know. Is anybody else like this? Maybe, maybe uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I am in a league of my own sometimes. But um, maybe you'll do this sometimes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I'll do is I'll get super into, like, um, like, okay, so boxing movies. I don't know why. It's just kind of where I feel right now. And I really just wanted to watch some really good boxing movies. So I just did a boxing movie marathon all weekend long. Like, not consecutively, but when I had some downtime, 
um, then and, and I wasn't like watching sports or even when I was watching sports, you know, I would keep one screen on the sports game, but then give the big TV and the sound to whatever boxing movie I was watching. And, and I, so I watched Bleed for This. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies. I love Miles Teller and uh, Aaron Eckert in that movie is awesome. And I, I, I highly recommend that movie to anybody that hasn't seen it. It's about Vinny Pazienza, this fighter from up in the east, like like uh, Rhode Island or something like that. And um, kind of a really interesting story. But he like breaks his neck. He's in this halo. He comes back. They told him, you'll never fight again, Vinny. He's like, no, I'm going to. And he fucking did. Uh, so really great movie. Uh, Creed. I for some you know I I had never seen Creed. I had never seen Creed. Michael B. Jordan, Rocky, um, Sylvester Stallone. Right. I had just never seen it, and damn, that was good. That was a good movie. I don't know why. I don't know why I waited. Um, I don't know why I just I, I just never got around to it. But I watched Creed. That was a really good movie. Uh, The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. Also one of my all-time favorite movies. I love both of those dudes so much. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, just just a G. And then Christian Bale. Christian Bale is honestly probably my favorite actor. Like, there is not a movie that he has done where I don't, I'm not totally just enthralled with his performance. I started thinking about, like, who is my favorite actor? And sure enough, you know, a lot of my favorite movies, I'm like, wow, another Christian Bale movie, another Christian Bale movie, The Dark Knight, like the the entire Batman trilogy of The Dark Knight, uh, American Hustle, you know, The Big Short, my favorite movie of all time, like, and, and, and even the one that he did, the Ford versus Ferrari movie, I had never seen it, um, and I watched it uh, a while ago now, I guess, you know, a month or two ago or whatever, but uh, that was really good. Like, the, he just, the, the man just doesn't miss. The man just doesn't miss. And slowly but surely, like, it used to be Tom Hanks, that used to be my favorite actor, but Christian Bale has taken it, and um, it, it's it's honestly between him, you know, Leo and Mark Wahlberg, I'd say, are my top three. And there's so many more Christian Bale movies that are great that I'm that I'm just you know forgetting off the top of my head. But anyways, I digress. The Fighter, awesome movie, one of my all-time favorites. And then Raging Bull, De Niro, Scorsese, Joe Pesci. It's a classic, tough to watch a little bit. I mean, it's black and white, and um, you know, Jake LaMotta, the fighter that he portrays, was just just a just a fucking asshole, man. Like. Just beat his wife and just was was wasn't that great of a dude um but it's a i mean it's it's one of robert de niro's like all-time performances if you've never seen it it's one of his earlier films and it's really good and it's really good so yeah i don't know <laughs> i get i get like i get like these the these like uh things that come over me and then i'm like man this weekend, I am watching as many great boxing movies as I can, or it'll be a football weekend, like football movies, Jerry Maguire, Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights. Like I don't know why, um, but every once in a while, I'll just tap into that and just ride that wave, man, and that's just like me, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I can't explain it, but anyways, uh, we're almost 20 minutes in, and now I know you're really waiting on the Uber stories, and so here we go, okay? This first one... We are going to call this guy Minnesota. And Minnesota, my friend, I told you that I would get you on the last one. We went linear with the Derby Day Uber stories, and so here we are, okay? Minnesota is one of my favorite types of rides. These are my favorite types of rides. So that's where we're going to begin this week, okay? I picked Minnesota up from a nice-looking house with a for-sale sign in the yard. He sits down. He's like, geez, what the hell is this car? 
And I tell him a Hyundai Equus. And he says, man, I feel important. And I said, you are important. And he said, darn tootin'. I'm like, oh, Minnesota, baby. All right, so off we go, okay, and I'm taking him to the airport. So I ask him, hey, where are you headed? And he says, Minnesota. And I asked him, what's up there? And he said, former home. I'm going to go pick up my wife and kids and the boat and the dog. I just bought that house today, so we're moving here. And I'm like, hey, man, congratulations. Like, that's awesome. He said, thank you, dude. Yeah, yeah, we're transplanting, but work's bringing me down here, so I figured I'd check it out. We got nothing here, though. Nobody. No family, no nothing. So it's crazy for us just to make this transition. And uh, listen, sidebar, it is. Like, it it is. Transplanting is a really hard thing. People do it, okay? Uh, I've done it. It doesn't matter how many times that you've done it, though. First time, last time, whatever. It is a difficult thing to pick up and move and build something somewhere new from the ground up. I think the process gets easier in the sense that um, the more times you do it, you know what you're doing a little bit more if you have done it a few times, right? So it might take a little bit shorter of a time to get settled in because you kind of know, okay, I'm, I'm able to hit the ground running. I know exactly what I need to do to establish myself in this new place, uh, but it still takes time. And you still got to find everything like a new gym and a new church and a new grocery store, new places to shop. You got to find new friends, new neighbors. You got a new commute to work. You got to get a new license, find a new bank. Like that's a lot of stuff, right? And then when you've got kids like Minnesota does, you know, you're you're dealing with a new school and you got to get new doctors and dentists and a new babysitter and new sports leagues or clubs, like whatever they're into, you know? If you've done that before, you kind of know where to begin. So that process, that's what I'm saying, like it, it might not take as long for you as opposed to someone doing their very first transplant, but that's still a lot. And I'm thinking, man, these are the little moments that can really make or break some of the energy that you come into a move like this with, right? Like the the the, the couple exchanges that you have before you do this, I, I don't know, man, like call it superstition, call it like reading too deep into situations or whatever, but I, I look at that stuff definitely as, hey, I had a really awesome talk with this person when I'm doing this thing that I'm kind of going out on a limb here. Like, it's a sign. It's a sign from the universe. It's a sign from God. It's a good omen. Or or maybe, you know, it, something doesn't go well and you're like, oh God, is this cursed, right? Like, that, I, I, I know I'm not the only one that thinks like that. And this guy was also somebody that uh, shared that sentiment. So I'm thinking, you know what? I'm taking this guy to the airport. He's about to go back and tell his wife, you know, that they're the house looks good. They're moving to Kentucky. Like, um, you know, this is an opportunity and I want to try to put him at, at ease as best as I can. Okay. So we were riding. I asked him, how old are your kids? And he tells me that he's got a seven year old girl and a 10 year old boy. And I had picked him up from somewhere out in Oldham County. Okay. And, and I said, well, I'm sure that you know this, but the school systems in Oldham County are the best in the state. And he said, yeah, man, we, we looked at JCPS, and the more that we learned about it, the more we were like, nah. And then there's a the private route, but what's 20000 a year going to do? I mean, I'd rather get a nicer house and spend a little bit more on the house and send the kids to school for free. And I told this dude, I'm like, dude, I know more kids from Oldham County schools that went on to go Ivy League or to great universities and excelled as students in the public school system than most of the kids that I knew from the private schools. Don't get me wrong. 
there are certainly the high achievers there as well, but I knew way more druggies and losers that went to private schools here and started getting into that those kinds of troubles like early on in high school. And I, you know, I just I think that people think if you go to private school that you're gonna be sheltered from stuff, but you're not. You're really not. And I share this take with him. He agrees with me. And I'm like, so listen, man, rest assured, like you guys are in a great school system. That's a beautiful house that I just picked you up from. You're doing all right. You're doing all right, my friend. He says, yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, The first people that I met, they were sitting outside today and I chatted with them for over an hour and they have a 10-year-old boy. We have a 10-year-old boy. It's just like awesome. So reassuring because that's a big unknown. Like unless you canvass the neighborhood, you know, but we're from Minnesota, 700 miles away. So it's like, I came down here after a FaceTime call with the realtor, and then on a wham, it's like, sure, let's get it. But if we're here, I'd have the luxury and I wouldn't care. You know, I'd go talk to anybody next door before I'd spend $800,000 on a house. You know what I mean? I want to know what I'm getting into. But it turns out at least one neighbor is cool. I'm like, good, man, good. That makes me really happy to hear. And he says, oh, man, it's a huge relief. I was just tickled pink when I was talking to them. Like, this is so cool. I said, man, yeah, I mean, listen, you can live in a beautiful home, but if the neighbors suck, anywhere can become a living hell. And he said, yeah, I had a buddy back home, built a house on a lake, beautiful lake, probably spent $500,000 all in. And the dude next door was so terrible, they ended up selling after a year. And they made 200000 on it because he built it and he did it himself, so he sold it for seven fifty. But like point being, you build this dream home where you think you're going to end up retiring and you've got some psychotic dude that's calling cops and making life so miserable that you have to move. And <laughs> listen, if anybody is uh, familiar with how horrible neighbors go, we had a horror story of a neighbor that used to live next to my parents. And towards the end of like... I guess it was the last couple years that uh, I was in high school and then first couple years of college, you know, we would just be playing basketball. Like my friends, my brother's friends, always that was like the hangout spot, man. Whatever we were doing, we were usually at my house. And the neighbor that lived next to us, listen, bless her soul, she was going through kind of like dementia and she was kind of losing a little bit, but she was fucking nuts, like gagoots, right? And... She would come out there and sit with a BB gun and and just like intimidate us for playing basketball. And anytime they heard the ball start bouncing, like they, I don't know, they thought it was like some personal vendetta, like we were doing it to piss them off. It's like, no, dude, we got like 15 dudes over here. We're trying to run games, bitch. Like hop off, right? And they would always open up their door and they had two little dogs, but then they had this Cane Corso Mastiff. It was a giant dog. And the fence that they had, it wasn't like a high wooden fence, dude. It was like you could see through it, and it was about, you know, like midsection high on, on a, on, you know, I'm, I'm 5'10". This thing probably came up to like right underneath my breast line, right? And they would have these, she would let this dog out, and it would just, it would sprint towards the fence, and I swear to God, I don't know how this dog, like, I don't know how it never happened, but this dog, it could have easily cleared that fence, dude. It was, like, worse than the beast in the sandlot. This thing was so massive, when it barked, it had so much bass in its bark that you could, like, feel it in your chest. Like, I swear to God, this this dog, man, I can't get over it. I've never seen a dog that big. Um, and those dogs are vicious, dude. They are vicious. 
But they would let this dog out and like it would run up to the fence and every time this thing ran towards the fence, dude, you would just hear it and you were like, oh my God, is this the day? Like, is this the day that my life ends because this dog is about to clear this fence and rip my skull to shreds, okay? But then even then, like, they got these cameras and they would point them. They had all these cameras. It was so bizarre. That's what I'm telling you. Like, they had a, they had a, um, it was a deer camera, like for, for hunters that they use and they put it on a tree. And then they installed another camera kind of up on their deck that looked over the trees and were was pointed right down at the basketball court. And like when we would go out there, we would see this camera move. Like it was so weird. And <laughs> it got to the point where um, anytime that we would be playing basketball and somebody would make a highlight or we would dunk or whatever, uh, we would point to the camera just like the NBA does, right? Where we're like, yeah, baby, you point to the camera. And like, we just made a joke out of it. But it was, they, they were awful, dude. They called the cops all the time for playing basketball. And it was just like, dude, we're, it's, we're high school boys. Like, what the fuck do you expect, man? Anyways, long story short, she moved away. I, I don't know if she was committed or, or what the hell, where the hell she is now, but uh, good riddance. I, like, she probably, if she isn't in an, uh, in an insane asylum, she is somewhere calling the cops on her neighbors, and I feel bad for those neighbors. I really do. Anyways, um, you know, it, the, the whole point of that is that, yeah, you can live in the most beautiful place in the world, but if you have people that make you feel uncomfortable doing things that are normal and doing things that are normal in your own home, like if you can't feel like you can go out and do yoga in the backyard or do whatever, play basketball, I don't know, man, I don't know, pick your, pick, pick your thing, okay? Uh, if you feel like you can't come home and be normal and kind of let loose, that you're kind of like... What are the neighbors going to think? What are the neighbors going to do? Like, that is an awful living situation. That is no way to live. And, uh, yeah, again, <laughs> sidebar, but here we go. Um, I asked Minnesota what business he's in, and he said that, uh, you know, you know I'm, like, I'm like, what is the job that's bringing you down here? And he said he's an installing contractor for fire sprinkler systems. So they do commercial buildings, hospitals, and he said he was offered to come down here and run this branch. He had been at the one back in Minnesota for like 15 years, but he said he was really getting burnt out. And he said on top of managing his territory, he described himself as a part-time nerd. So his company handed him a lot of IT duties because they're like, hey, Minnesota knows how to do this. Minnesota's into computers. Here, you want a bunch of extra work that we're not going to pay you for? There you go, okay? And he's like, man, I'm doing all this fucking work for a little bit of a token, maybe a cookie here or there, but there's just more to life. There's just more to this. So this is a really cool opportunity, and the potential is really awesome, and I just figured if I didn't try this now, you know, the kids are at an age now where if we wait any longer, it's not going to happen. And I bartended for, like I've basically, between me and my wife, had three jobs. I was serving at Olive Garden way back in the day. I think I worked there for like 14 years off and on just to kind of help with some diaper money in the beginning or party money, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then I was bartending and that was like stripper money. So that was some good shit, man. But I'm like fucking, the kids are not going to be seven and 10 forever. They're only going to be this age once. So that's why I was like, fuck it, let's do this. My wife, she tried to go part time, but her company said get bent. So she was like, fuck you. So she quit. So now she's just going to be a stay at home mama for a while. And I'm cool with that. Like, I'm really cool with that. 
We're going to be living the wrong way, upside down a little bit, but I guess the reason that we had three jobs all those times was for this. You never know. So we got some money in the bank, so we'll live off that for a little bit, and I'm confident the rest will come. And I said, it will, man. It will. And he said, yeah, so that's my life story in a nutshell. I said, I love it, man. Well, welcome to Kentucky, right? He's like, fuck yeah, man. It's cool. Everybody's chill out here too. Like just talking to the neighbor for an hour like that. I was joking like Minnesota nice. It's bullshit. You got to peel a layer back in order to get to somebody, you know, but out here, fuck man. Yeah, everybody from the Hilton guy, Max got his business card. I got the Starbucks lady. I mean, I met these people for minutes and I know everything about them. And that's probably part me too, because I'm an open book, but, but I'm like, man, everybody's chill out here. Besides the way they drive, they drive like fucking bats out of hell. (laughs) So we cruise for like 10 more minutes. And um, he asked, so, you know, so what else do you do? Is this your only job? I tell him about the podcast. I tell him about Uber stories. He's like, so am I going to be on it? I'm like, yeah, man. Like, this is the shit that I love, right? You telling me that you're just about to move here and this is your first couple days here and you're already vibing with people here, like your neighbor, the Starbucks lady, now hopefully your Uber driver. He's like, shit, yeah, man. I'm like, like I, I tend to think that whenever I've gone somewhere and this kind of shit happens to me, those are little affirmations that you are on the right path, dude. Like all that doubt that you might have about this, is this the right move? Is this going to work out? I take those as affirmations that you're on it, man. And he's like, yep, that shit. Like just, just the conversation with the neighbor today. Like they were just outside hanging out. What are the odds that those two were out there at the exact same time I walked out and then boom. I mean, shit happens for a reason, man. And so that helps to see that for sure. And I said, and already, like, you're going to go back to your wife. And you're going to be like, hey, bae, everything's going to be cool with the neighbors. And she's like going, oh, thank God, you know, thank God. And he said, I know, man, I was on a FaceTime with my daughter. And the neighbor walked over and he gave me his number and stuff. And I was like, hey, put mom on the phone. So she was on and he met her and was super friendly. And we're already texting back and forth with the husband and the wife. I'm like, nice, man, nice. So we pull up to the airport, and I dropped him off, and it was just a really positive exchange. And then at some point, either later that day or the next day, I'm checking my stats on the Uber app, and I notice that somebody has left me a new review. And it's filed under above and beyond, a new badge for me. You know, there's like excellent service, cool car, great conversation, but then there's this above and beyond badge that I had yet to unlock. And It says, Ben was amazing, extremely professional, and very enjoyable conversation throughout the entire ride, and it was signed, Minnesota, Minnesota, so my man, thank you, best of luck in this transition, I hope everything goes smooth for you guys, Uh, look me up when you get down here, okay, and know that the universe is looking out for you, my friend. Okay, this next one made me feel really good. Um, It made me feel good, okay, it made me feel good. Good in the sense to have somebody tell me that Things were going rough for them, but now they've gotten better. And I love to hear that kind of stuff. So we're going to call this guy Lamar. He gets in and like I start most rides, hey man, you have a good day? You having a good day? Oh yes, this is my day off. I said, where do you work? Lamar says, St. Vincent de Paul, a homeless shelter. I work nights. I'm a program aide. I said, what do you do at night? And he said, well, I, you know, I make sure that nobody comes on the property, people sign in, that kind of stuff. And he said the people that stay there are a mix of 20 veterans and 52 regular clients. And I said, that's a really good service, man. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I was in there. 
And I said, like, as a client? And he said, as a client, yes. But the main program aide told me if I stay away for a year, he'd help me get a job. I said, hell yeah, man. And the guy said that the guy was true to his word. He helped him get a job. And uh, Lamar was like, all right, good deal. So I asked Lamar, hey, if, if you don't mind my asking, how did you become homeless? And he said, man, I lost my job, man. And when the bills don't get paid, I just became homeless. But my sister stays over in the Hikes and Breckenridge area. But when I came up here and I became homeless, like I was sad, I was nervous. But I found out a lot of people that go to the shelter that are homeless go there for the resources and they just don't want to go away on their own, right? Because I'm the youngest out of 10 and they always did for me. You know, I cannot be mad. They always did for me. But I know they got tired and I'm in my 40s now. Like, come on, man. Come on. He said it was about two years, his homelessness, and he had gone to the Salvation Army, and then he went to St. Vincent de Paul's, um, but he said when you're trying to get an apartment and a job, it takes time, especially when you can't get loans because you can't, like, you're homeless. You literally, you know, you don't have anything to put up as collateral, and he said, you know, I, I love St. Vincent de Paul, man. I was even on the news for them. A uh, lady came out there, and they wanted somebody to say something, so I was like, I'll do it. But now, you know, just going through that, you appreciate all the little things, man. And I said, like what? And he said, like anything, man. I just need the bare necessities. And I said, what were you doing before you became homeless? And he said, I was a butcher at Kroger. fifteen fifty an hour, snatched right from me. How come? Because I was doing stuff wrong, man. Steaks, you know, once steaks go bad, either you're going to throw them away or you're going to lower the price. But they really aren't bad. They just don't want us to sell them after they sit for a minute. So they tell me, throw them away. But I'm looking at these steaks thinking, damn, like these are still good steaks, right? So I took some of them home, told a buddy of mine that worked with me, he snitched. So they fired me over taking home some steaks they told me to throw away. It's like, that sucks, man. But... It was awesome that he had bounced back from that, and the place I picked him up at was was like a, um, it was kind of like a halfway house, but he said things there were much better for him. He had access to a really nice kitchen, and he had his own room. He had a nice room, and he said he really enjoyed working at the homeless shelter and helping other people out because he knew what it was like to be in their position. And I, you know, I dropped him off. I'm like, hey man, good talking to you. Stay up, keep doing your thing, and I hope he does. I hope he does. Okay, uh, names are not important in this next one because this one really isn't about the conversation that we had, but more of like a holy shit, what did I just miss kind of moment, okay? So that happens kind of frequently, honestly, where somebody gets in and like that dude that had just walked out of the meeting with his boss or this chick that I'm about to tell you about in a minute, okay? But these two young bucks get in the car Young, man. I'm, I'm thinking they had to be like 15, 16 years old. Maybe 17, 18. I don't know. But baby-faced, just like scrawny, you know, just young looking, right? Um, and one of them has his arm in a sling. So we have like a 15-minute ride. And as soon as I get in, I'm like, what's up, fellas? How's it going? You get a one-word answer. I'm like, cool, okay. So we're just riding this thing out. So they really didn't say much the entire ride. Not to me, anyways. They just looked out the windows, and every once in a while, they'd say something like, man, fuck them. Can't believe that shit. Motherfuckers, we'll get them. 
Like it, it was like really random, and, and I'm I'm like sitting here going like, what the hell are they talking about? But then they would go silent again, and you know, I, I just got the vibe that they really weren't trying to talk to me that much, or that I didn't know how to break it the ice. You know, I felt like I had broken the ice, but then it just went right back to ice. So I'm like, God, oh, I'm just gonna leave it, right? So um, <laughs> then we get about three minutes from the address where I'm taking them. And then they really start plotting, like, all right, what are we going to tell her? And they're kicking some ideas around, and then it's like clear to me that they are trying to come up with a story to tell this kid's mom, their mom, I don't know if they were brothers or whatever, they're, they're, they're like coming up with stories to tell this kid's mom about how he broke his arm. So <laughs> I'm like, did you just break it? And he's like, huh? Like, uh, he was like, wait, is, 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 are you talking to me, right? Uh, I'm like, did you just break it, your arm? And he goes, yeah, uh, and I said, like, today? And he goes, like, two hours ago. I'm like, shit, man. He said, yeah, they tried to pull off and rob us, so I was trying to punch their window out. I said, no way. He goes, it bent, it broke a little. One more punch would have got it, but they pulled off. I said, were they strapped? He said, I don't know. They're not on it if they were. And I said, were you selling them weed or something? He was like, yeah. I said, how much did they rob you over? And he's like, nah, nah, they tried to, but they pulled off. Because we were deep, and they saw that, so they tried to run away as soon as they pulled up. So I was like, ah, you know, so you came here to rob us. I'm like, scumbags. And uh, so then I said, all right, here's what you tell her, okay? You were playing basketball at your boy's house, low goal 21. You went up for a dunk. He went up with you, clearly fouled the shit out of you. Legs got swept a little bit. You came down hard. And when you tried to break your fall, you extend your arm out. Boom. There you go. And the dude's like, hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I don't know if he used that. I hope he did. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good pretty good alibi, a story to sell your mom, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty believable story, like how you would have broken your arm. Um, but I, I, So I have no idea. I have no idea if, the, if that's what he told her, but... Uh, yeah, that that was like they got in and and then then it all made sense, you know, having just missed this thing and then they went to the hospital and these two dudes almost got robbed and that that was uh, pretty crazy, but um it just and, and I can't really get over like how young they were to be to be, you know, involved in some shit like this. Like I dude, I I do not think that they were over 17 years old. I mean, and if they do then they're making these kids look younger and younger by the year. I swear to god. Uh <laughs> anyways, I digress. This next one is one of those conversations that you know that the opposite sex has, but you never really know what they're saying. And you always wish that they did, right? Or, or that you did. Like when girls and guys get together and talk, and like really talk, the opposite sex is always wondering, what do they say? What do they talk about? Like I wish I could be on a fly on a wall and just see how they talk or what they talk about. So this was like one of those where I'm having this conversation with this woman who we'll call Autumn, and I'm a big fan of Autumn, okay? Let me just first say that. I'm a big fan of Autumn, but Autumn is peeling back the curtains here. So fellas, pay attention, okay? You think you're the only players out there? You're wrong, my friends. Autumn gets in, and she has one of those pins, okay? And it's like a security thing. It's like a security step. Uh, Shout out to Uber, man. Making rides safer for women. Ladies, listen. There is a feature that Autumn used that you may or may not know about, but basically you set a pin number, and when your Uber arrives, 
they can't start the ride without entering your PIN and you telling them your PIN number. So, you know, unfortunately, it's just a sad reality about life. There are creeps and perverts that will wait outside bars and lure women in like, hey, Uber, Uber, and and women, you know, or or men. This happens to men too, right? But um, people tend to stumble out of a bar, right, looking for any Uber, or sometimes they don't even realize that there's not an Uber sticker on it, and these fucking creeps will sit out there and they'll lure you into the car, and some people, they don't even check the license plate when they're like making sure that it's their Uber, and and once you get in, you know, hashtag me too, you know, fucking sickos, man, it makes me sick, so ladies, just know that this feature exists, okay, anyways, Autumn is using this feature, she gives me your pin, I start the ride, and I get the route on Waze, and she says, oh my God, please get me out of here, and I, I, I said, long week, she said, uh, me and this dude just got into an argument, and, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I am not about to do this. I don't do jealousy, especially unnecessary jealousy. And I asked her, is this someone that you've been seeing for a while? And she said, yeah, we started talking a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm busy, so I'm not really available as much, and my car is messed up, so my boss had to come and get me from work for our shift. And I, I find my boss, like, very awkward. You know, I find him kind of weird. Like, I really didn't want him to come and get me, but then again, I needed the money, and I, and I needed to get to work. And, and I'm like, you needed the ride. And she says, right, like, I needed the ride. He works third shift, too, so it's like, why not? I get off at 9 o'clock in the morning, and my roommate is just now calling me, like, what's up? How was that awkward ride with your boss? And I'm like, girl, this ride was so awkward. And while I'm talking to her about this awkward ride with my boss and telling her how he was checking out my cousin on the phone and just being a complete weirdo, and I'm I'm in the back like going, ugh, or I guess I'm in the front, but I'm going, ugh, you know, like, ugh. And he, she said, yeah, that like that's weird, you know? I'm like, yeah. She goes, this dude I was seeing is all like, why are you always talking about guys? I'm like, first of all, I'm the only girl out of seven boys. If I talk about a dude... Like, there's going to be a lot of dudes I'm going to mention, okay? I hung out with boys. I had to grow up with them. I was the only girl outside in the yard playing football. Like, And I have a lot of guy friends. And he just showed, like, to me, that's like a jealousy tendency. And I said, a, a thousand percent. She goes, right. Like, even if you're just like, oh, I'm just asking because you're always talking. No, you're not asking. If you would just sit back and listen... Instead, you're asking a question which lets me know that you have jealousy tendencies. And I said, especially since this is your boss too, right, that you're talking about on the phone with your friend. She's like, right, this is my manager. Like, what do you mean? He has a whole fiancé that works there at the job with us. Like, And my, my this dude knows that. So he just caught an entire attitude in there. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave because I don't do jealousy. Because that lets me know if you're questioning stuff like that, how long will it be until you get a feeling and then be like, I got to go through your phone? I'm like, Ugh, yeah, no way, dude, no way. And she goes, right. And I'm the type of person that if you have to go through my phone for anything or if I have to go through your phone for anything, it's over. Because I already feel in my heart that you're cheating and now I'm just trying to catch you. And he's like, I'm just saying females, you know, woo, woo, woo. I'm like, no, it's It's not the dudes that we don't mention that you have to worry about. I said, this is why women are like the masters of cheating. Guys fuck up. Excuse me. I'm like, hey, no, you're good. Go off, queen. She said, but guys fuck up, and they'll mention the female in some type of aspect. Some type of aspect. A woman does it, you ain't never gonna know. 
<laughs> I'm just I'm just like giggling at this point because I'm like, this is awesome, man. This is awesome. Keep going, baby. And she's like, he ain't gonna be in her phone. He might be in there as Pizza Hut. And I'm I'm like cracking jokes. I'm like, honey, why is Pizza Hut texting you at 2 a.m.? And she's like, right, right. Or one of your girlfriend's name, but like her middle name, you know, or some kind of craziness like that. But you know, you'll never know, and she'll never bring him up in conversation. I'm like, right. And she said, I was like, do you actually think if I was talking and interested in other dudes like that, that I would be dumb enough to mention them around you? And he just looked at me. He was like, what? I was like, nah, honey, because then I'm a player. And the goal is to make you feel like you're the only one, right? And I said, yo, we both just start dying laughing. She really cracked herself up. And she cracked me up in the process, too. So she continues. And she said, He's just looking at me like, dang. I was like, I am so serious. Like, if I want to be a player, I could be a player, honey. And you will feel like you're the only one. And I said, sounds like you just told this man Santa Claus wasn't real. She's like, basically. So don't be coming at me like I've done something already because I haven't. He was like, oh, so you're really leaving? I'm like, yeah, because you kind of killed my vibe, man. You kind of killed it. And now I kind of can't feel like I can mention things around you or talk about certain things around you. I'm just telling you, honey, your insecurities are not my problem. And one question just revealed all that. But it's cool. It's cool. He's the one sitting in the house mad, not me. I'm about to go back to my house and have a beer. That's what I'm about to do. And I said, there you go. Pour a little sip out for him. R.I.P., you know? And, hey, I bet you could go out and find another dude. Like, no problem. She's like, ah, if I really wanted to. Or I could just call one of my other hoes. And we just started laughing because I was just not expecting that. Because I was like, oh, my God. So... She said, and then she goes, oh, goodness, Lord, I cracked myself up. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, you know, listen, sometimes we think we're the player, but uh, little do we know. Little do we know, you know, and that was really, really uh, an enlightening conversation. I'm sure it's probably an enlightening conversation for somebody. Some some dude is probably listening to that going, what the hell, like mind-blown type of a gift, right? But, hey, fellas, it is what it is, right? Play the game, be good or be good at it, okay? Now, Ollie is what we are going to call the name of this next writer. And this one's serious at first, but then this turns into a pretty funny one too, okay? You learn something new every day, boy, I tell you what, okay? Ollie gets in, and I see that we're headed to the hospital. And after the first couple minutes just kind of exchanging pleasantries, I ask, so what brings you to the hospital? Are you okay? And he says, well, I'm okay, I'm good, but my dad is in palliative care, so he's got a few days left, and then that's about it. And I, I didn't know what palliative care is, so I ask him, what is palliative care? And he said, palliative care means that they're just taking care of you to be comfortable. They're not trying to cure you, they're not trying to solve any of your problems, they're not trying to save your life at this point for whatever reason. He's 91 years old. He's had cancer for the last five years, and although it's stabilized, um, there's just not a lot they can do for him except make him comfortable. So they gave him some good drugs to make him feel good, help him breathe and everything, and hopefully give him some cognizance of what's going on around him. My brother and my sister are there right now, and so I'm going to go meet up with them, and we're just going to see if we can get him going one last time and make sure that he knows that we're there, you know? Good old guy. I'm like, damn, this just got really heavy, right? And I said, man, that's, that's tough to go through. 
and uh, I can certainly empathize with you in having to say goodbye to somebody that you love. And he says, well, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm 65 years old, and I can't remember a day where he hasn't been there. So that's pretty weird. I said, 91, man, that's... He goes, it's a haul, dude. I said, I'll be lucky if I make it to 65. Shit. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have the jeans. You know, if nothing else, that's what I'm going to tell him in there tonight. Thanks for the jeans, man. And so I say, so how do you reconcile that when you get up in the morning and any day or at any moment you could get that phone call? Like, hey, you know, he, your father just passed away. He said, it's kind of weird because they found cancer in him about five years ago and they started treating him for the cancer. And after about two years, they knew that they weren't going to be able to cure it. But this guy, man, he's like a freaking bear. I mean, he will not stop. He drives himself everywhere, doesn't wear glasses, doesn't use a cane, doesn't use a walker, doesn't do shit that he doesn't want to do, doesn't talk to anybody that he doesn't want to talk to. He goes where he wants and when he wants, and he's just a freaking bear, man. And, you know, we're laughing, and he said he lives alone, and it's just like, geez. And I go, guy sounds like a unit. This guy's the unit. And he goes, God, it's awesome, man. I, I really love and admire him. I hope to be half of him. And I just say it again, like, 91, goddamn. And he told me that his dad's birthday is December 20th, so last year for his dad's 90th, all the family, immediate, extended, you name it, they all came in and they celebrated Christmas and his dad's 90th birthday together, just because, you know, you, you never know, right? Um, and plus, like, 90 is one hell of a milestone. And I told him that, I, hey, I know it, man, like, my stepdad's dad, uh, He's German, so we call him Opa. Instead of like Grandpa or anything, we call him Opa, right? And he's right around that age as well. So we did it big for his birthday last year. Might have been his 90th birthday last year. Uh, that's terrible that I don't know that, but I know he's right around there somewhere, okay? Shut up, man. It's a step-grandpa, you know? Give me a break. I love the guy. You know, I love him like he's like he's my own grandpa, but I'm just saying. like, Okay, anyways. Um, uh, and just until about the last couple of years, Opa was the same way. Like he had his truck. He used to spend half of the week here and then half the week um, staying busy and active doing stuff around his lake house down in Taylorsville. But he took a fall a couple years ago and he's kind of moving slower these days. And now he's in an assisted living facility. And I swear, man, if you're still swinging at 80 and 90 years old, man, those are the places to end up. Because apparently there's just a bunch of single women and the ratio is so in your favor. My mom says when, whenever she goes to visit sometimes, there'll be like four or five women stopping by and stopping in, bringing them cookies or blankets or just little things, and they're checking on Ed. That's his name, right? That's his name. So, oh, Ed, oh, Ed, how are you today, Ed? Like that kind of stuff, right? And my mom just leaves, just shaking her head, right? Uh, and I share all of this with him, and uh, he says, well, yeah, hey, I'll tell you, that is the absolute truth, because I manage property for a company out of Denver, and we have properties all over, man, 20,000 properties, and they're all Prac 202, which means they're all for 62 and over. So I have all of our properties in Kentucky 62 and over. And yeah, if I had to guess, the ratio is probably 75-25 women to men, and these old dudes, I don't know how they do it, because they are running the hallways. And in other places... Not in Kentucky so much, but in places like Colorado and Denver and California, 
there's a real problem keeping the hookers away on the first of the month because they know that's when the social security checks come out. <laughs> and I just start laughing and he's laughing with me. And he's like, you know, like social security comes out between the first and the third and they're just all over the place, man. Crackheads, prostitutes, and it's a real problem. It's a real problem to keep them away because these are people's homes. You know, these 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 uh, properties that I manage, like these people that live in them, they own them. So, you know, you can't tell somebody that any particular person can't come visit you and if they want them there, you know, but hey, listen, but when it's a 28-year-old skinny toothless, raggedy-haired woman shows up on September 2nd, you know what she's there for, man. She's got the code to open the door. She knows exactly where she's going. I'm like, dude, that is fucking wild, man. My mind is blown right now. I said, yeah, it's crazy. And it's funny because I have seven of them here in Kentucky, you know, and I see the mailman come every day. And I move around to different properties, so I see the mailman come every day and stuff. And so I know what it looks like. I know what Roman's deliveries look like. You know what I'm saying? So I know what Viagra deliveries look like. So that little black envelope, man, and they have a ton of them in the bag. They have a ton of them. And I, I, I say... I tip my cap to men and women at that age. You know what? Like, go for it, man. It's your life. Enjoy it. And he said, isn't that the truth? And men, men never change, especially when you're at your age. And he's, you know, referencing me. I'm 28. And he's like, when, 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 when guys are your age, you think you're going to get old and forget about it. But men do not forget about it, man. Shit. They don't forget about it. And women don't either. (laughs) So. I really got a kick out of that one. That was a good one. Uh, This next one is interesting and kind of funny, only because he didn't know what bet meant. And this takes an interesting turn, uh, but let's call this guy Jerry, okay? Usually when someone sends me a message when I'm on the way to them, I'll say bet. Like, bet. I'll see you soon. Bet. Thanks for the heads up. You know, whatever. They'll tell me, hey, my address is actually, or hey, we're standing outside of uh, TGI Fridays or whatever. And I'll be like, all right, cool, bet. Uh, but not Jerry. Jerry sends me a message that says, I'm in my house. Let me know when you're here. I'll be wearing a mask too. So I said, bet. And then a minute or so later, I get a message that says, bet? Question mark. And I said, ha, 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 ha. It means okay. you know. And, and he says, gotcha. So when I pull up, I'm not shocked that Jerry is an old white man. okay? And he gets in and I'm like, Jerry, and he says, Benjamin, how you doing? And I said, there's some new lingo you can start using. And he said, yeah, man, you young guys, I'll tell you what. So Jerry also has his arm in a cast. Weird, man. I've got two people in the car now in the last couple weeks that have had either their arm in a cast or a sling. That's kind of a weird tidbit there. I don't know. <laughs> All right, back on track. He's got his arm in a cast. And so I ask naturally, how did you break your arm? Ah, uh, I fell off a freaking ladder. Never would have happened if it wasn't for COVID. I usually just call someone, but being around the house more, I just decided, eh, what the hell, and this is what I get. And I said, have you been working, or are you retired? Because, you know, he's older, I don't know. So uh, he said, no, I work, I work still, I work in law. And I said, what kind? And he said, well, I'm a trial lawyer. I do civil law, personal injury, stuff like that. And I said, you have any billboards around the city? Any crappy commercials on TV that I might know of? And he's like, no, no, nothing like that. I'm semi-retired. I just work on stuff here and there. 
So then this is how my mind works, right? This guy tells me he's a trial lawyer. I want to know what the most bizarre case that he's ever worked on is. So I ask, hey man, without going into key details or anything like that, what's the most bizarre case that you've ever seen and worked on? And he says, hmm, bizarre. That's interesting. Well, no, I I don't mind giving you names. I represented PT Strip Club for years. Obviously wasn't personal injury. I used to do a lot of ABC laws as well. And the guys at PT's hired me to open it up. And they're great guys, fantastic guys. Not your stereotypical strip bar owners. You know, they didn't have the silk shirts open to their navels, puka shell necklaces, no, no shit like that. But they were really pretty classy guys. Now, their dad, he was a puka shell necklace kind of guy, but the son, he was a good dude. Anyways, they used to own a lot of country western bars. And, you know, where people would go and line dance and whatnot. And Jerry said the son had told him when their dad died, the son started looking over the books. And this is like early to mid-90s. And the son goes, shit, man. In one of my country western bars, I sell a bottle of beer for a buck and a half. In the strip bars, I can sell a bottle of beer for seven bucks. And we both laughed at that. And uh, he said the son had an MBA from NYU. And this is like pretty easy math, you know, like seven bucks over here, a buck and a half over here. So the son took all the bars and the strip clubs and he reformed them. He cut out a lot of the shit that would get them in trouble. Prostitution, drugs, whatever. Cleaned all of it out. He said he would even run drug dogs through his businesses. And I said, because he's liable at that point, right? Or, or, or is he? And he said, well, it's more of a reputation thing. He's not liable, but if the girls have some coke or whatever, and he had nothing to do with them having it, but it's against the rules, they can't do anything to him, but it just keeps the cops on your ass, man. So he cut that out. He cut out the, you know, no prostitution. Used to send in undercover agents. Even sent me in when they opened up before the employees got to know me. Said, try to get a date. And if you get a prostitution date, I'll give you a grand. And uh, this is some time ago, and I'm a pretty looking guy at this point. I figured, hell, it'd probably be pretty easy. Nope. They wouldn't do it. I mean, I offered them a lot of money. A lot more than the going right anyways around here. But no, they were great. So I said, well, what kind of cases did they have you working on? He said, well, opening up, you know, that was tough. First Amendment stuff. The religious right, some of the churches, they don't really like women dancing naked. Um, And they were a lot of license challenges, stuff like that. We tried to open another one at Butchel, and they really just went wacko in Butchel of all places. It's not like it's the garden spot. (laughs) And then going off Bardstown Road, they picked a spot, and they had a huge license challenge there. And we ultimately ended up losing. Well, he got it open, but it was like the ladies had to wear pasties, and he's like, eh, who wants to do that? But it was a lot of fun. You know, I got on the news a lot. They paid me well, and I had a lot of fun. And and as a matter of fact, we used to have a lot of our conferences at the strip bar downtown and in the conference room upstairs. Not a bad place to have a conference. So it's not what you would call bizarre, but it's a little bit different, I guess, than your average client. <laughs> hey, Works for me, Jerry. I hope the arm heals up, my friend. (laughs) Now, speaking of strippers, and going back to a previous take I gave on an Uber Stories episode a few weeks ago, 
Remember there was this guy telling me that his friend came in from out of town and he went to one of the local strip clubs here in Louisville and this guy dropped $17,000? And I was kind of like astonished because who in their right fucking mind would spend that much money in a Louisville strip club, right? I'm like, I I just can't even justify spending that much money here mentally, okay? And, you know, I'm talking like I'm the guru of strip clubs here. Look, I've been one time. Honestly, it was back when my buddies and I had just gotten fake IDs and we were trying to think of places to use them when we're, where we wouldn't get questioned, right? Like you go to a bar as an 18-year-old and uh, especially like me, I've got a huge baby face, right? And you go into one of these places with an Ohio ID, if it's a legit bar, anybody with a brain would have looked at me and been like, get the fuck out of here, kid. So I thought at the time, what is the one place that we could go and use these where no one gives a shit even less than the shitty bars that are here. Bingo, strip clubs. Man, we went, and I have never been more disgusted in my life. I'm telling, like, C-section scars, meth heads with shitty smokers' breath, some of these girls no older than us, like sixes at best, sitting on the most disgusting dudes you've ever seen in your life and being, like, flirty with them. I'm just like, from that point on, I said, and, and my friend that I went with, we said we would never go back. And you know what? True to word, I never have gone back. It's been 10 years since I was in any Louisville strip club. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't really talk from experience here, but it's just always made sense to me that there are certainly hot strippers dancing in clubs somewhere, but they are certainly not in Louisville, and they sure as hell aren't going to be in the part of town that the strip clubs are in in Louisville, okay? Anyways, <laughs> the reason I mention any of that is because I've always defended this take and been super quick to shut any proposal to visit the strip club down when I'm with a group of dudes, you know, whatever ages. Um, I'm not going to out anybody here, but but eventually there's like the one or two dudes that no matter what's going on in the night, when you all are all sitting there, they're like, strip club? Anybody? Anybody? And I swear to God, all it would take for, for these kind of dudes is one yes, and they'd be like, all right, fuck it, I'm getting the Uber, let's go, boys, like, saddle up, right, <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, like, these, the dude, why go spend your money there, they are disgusting, overpriced drinks, it's just, just don't, just don't do it, like, and, you know, 10 years later, I'm still fucking right, every single time, okay, but anyways, I pick up these dudes from a strip club, and I was taking them to another strip club, and, they said that the one that I picked them up at was from was closed, so they were headed to another one on the other, like the south end of Louisville. The ride itself was pretty chill. These dudes were from Oregon, and they worked in the hemp business, and they were here for some business meetings, so they figured they'd let off a little bit of steam and see what Louisville had to offer. Names aren't really important, I mean, you know, uh, but we talked about the hemp industry and what they did. And this is super random, but when I told them that I love Oregon Ducks football and they were from Oregon, uh, they're like, no way, dude, that's cool. One of our boys used to play for them. And they were young-ish, okay, so I figured, you know, maybe I'll know this dude, you know, remember the name or something like that. So I said, who? And they said, Colt Lyurla. He was from our hometown in Oregon, uh, up in Hillsboro. I'm like, hold up, was he number 15, tight end? And they're like, yeah, bro, no way. How the fuck do you know that? And I said, I used to play with Oregon all the time on NCAA 14, obviously the best jerseys in the game, and I'd put all the players up to 99s in my dynasty, and I used to ball with him, dude. Tight end post, wait till that linebacker clears out, 
good for 15 yards every time, dog. And <laughs> that is super random, but you know, but these are like the things that I remember. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm like this. What anyways. Uh they're like, dude, I cannot believe that we met somebody in Kentucky that that has heard of him or knows of him or like likes Oregon football. Like that's just so hella random to us. So, you know, I do the whatever happened to him thing. And they told me this really sad story, man. They told me he really went downhill after he stopped playing. He got arrested and he never has really been the same. And in the moment, I'm like, oh, that sucks, man. That sucks. So when I get home that night, I couldn't stop thinking about that. So I Googled his name. You know, I wanted to see where he ended up going. And sure enough, there's his mugshot and an article about where it all went downhill from him. He was a five-star recruit, man. First team All-State in Oregon, had offers from all the big schools but chose Oregon, was a starting tight end by his sophomore year, but then he either quit or got kicked off the team his junior year in 2013. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, there's some articles that say he quit, some articles that say he got kicked off, whatever. He went undrafted, he signed with the Packers, but before the season even started, he tore his MCL and his PCL on his right knee in a non-contact practice while trying to hurdle a defender. And his career was done before it ever really even started. He hung around and played some arena ball for a year or two, but when he got injured with the Packers, that was really the beginning of his spiral because that was when he got addicted to painkillers, or it really got bad for him at least. I don't know when he got addicted to painkillers, but that was really when it started the spiral because he had access to them through an injury settlement with the team, like with the Packers. He got waived, and two weeks after he gets waived, he's back home in Oregon getting arrested for DUI. Then a couple years after that, gets arrested again, but this time for possession of heroin and for using counterfeit $50 bills, gets popped for heroin again, and then went into a community correction center, escapes by climbing out of a first floor window and was found 24 hours later because he had overdosed on heroin. And then just last year, he pled guilty to charges of heroin possession, assault, and strangulation after he and his girlfriend got in a fight. And he was sentenced to 27 months in prison where he currently sits now. That's probably one of the most depressing answers I've ever gotten to the whatever happened to that guy or whatever happened to her question. But if you, like me, were wondering, which you probably weren't, but even if you were, there you go. So I know this is super weird and random, um, and I just went down this big rabbit hole there, but but that's how the ride with these guys was. Like It was pretty quick. We talked about that, and then I pull up at the Godfather on Preston Highway. The entire point of this story, okay? And as soon as we pull up, there's a dancer walking out and into the parking lot, and there's a guy. She literally had just come out of the door, and as soon as she comes out, I see this other guy emerge. He's walking right behind her, and he reaches out to grab her arm, but she yanks it away, and he just stops, and she keeps walking towards the car, and she looks at me like, fuck you too, buddy, and I'm like, I didn't even do anything. Like, you know, it was just so random. She just like shot me the look like, what the fuck are you looking at kind of deal, and she was the exact reason why you should never go to Louisville strip clubs and why that guy from a few weeks ago that came into town and spent $17,000 should be absolutely ashamed of himself. This girl was obese, like legitimately obese, storming away in heels, a bra and panties, and fishnet stockings. And we're watching her body bounce around like blubber. And I'm looking at these guys in the back like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to get out? They're like, fuck it, man. We got nothing better to do. I'm like, dude, I could think of a million better things to do. I'd rather get a cavity filled or wait on hold with a customer service rep than spend my money here. But it was in that moment 
sitting there saying goodbye to these fellas and watching them go in, witnessing what was coming out, that I felt validated in another age-long take that I've had and will forever defend my position vigorously when any of the degenerate, savage fringe guys throw out the idea of going to a strip club because there's nothing else to do, save your money and have a little self-respect, okay? And now listen, this is, I don't know why I'm taking it here, but I'm going to. In looking up the address for the Godfather for the reference that I just, you know, on Preston Highway, right? I saw that it had 42 Google reviews. And just for fun, I decided to read a couple. Trust me, I don't know why either. I just thought that I might get a laugh out of them and I'll be damned if I wasn't right again, okay? Here's just a couple of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you three. One star rating. It says, tip the bartender for the first beer and waited for a girl to get on stage. No girl. She just stood at the bar. Bought another beer and waited. No girl still standing at the bar. Bought my third beer and the bartender got an attitude with me for not tipping her. I'm walking to the bar. She's not even coming to me even though she has nothing else to do. In parentheses it says, I asked her when the dancers would start dancing and she replied, we have a dancer. But is she really a dancer when she stands at the bar for 45 minutes? I drank my last beer while the dancer stood at the bar hanging out with the bartender and then went home. Another poorly ran business. (laughs) Here's another one-star review. It says... I felt like I was in Vegas with a bunch of bums begging me for alcohol, cigarettes, and money without service in return. Should have just went to the shell across the street. (laughs) And then, this is the by far the best one, okay? One star. It says, well, dot, dot, dot. The first time we had ventured to this establishment, all the girls was nowhere to be seen. All was coked out in the restroom. The next time... A girl with a reddish color, auburn, red maybe, hair, tall, slender, sporadic tattoos, and been there two times since within the last week I had seen her. Nowhere to be. What's her name? Does she have a schedule that you can share? Let her know that fame us, girl in white fuzzy jacket from the Mid-Am truck show weekend, is wanting to catch up with her. (laughs) I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck? Hey. I rest my case, all right? I rest my case. Don't do it, fellas. Don't do it. Okay, uh, craziest shit that I saw all week. This one this one really wasn't crazy as much as it is just sad. And uh, I'll share this moment. This was a moment that I had while sitting at a red light downtown, waiting for what felt like forever to turn left. And to my left, sitting on a ledge near the sidewalk, were two guys, one black, one white, And the black guy had his head buried between his arms and his knees, and he really wasn't moving. But the white guy was sitting up so I could see his face. And when his eyes weren't shut completely, they were rolled to the back of his head so that all you could see were the whites of his eyes. And he was rocking back and forth, slowly opening his mouth as his tongue poked out his bottom lip. And he was just strung out, man. They both were. 2 p.m. on a Monday afternoon, broad daylight, right by the road for everybody to see, blasted. And it just bummed me out, man, to see somebody that far gone. You know, to have your only care in the world be when and where is my next high coming from. And once you get it, to not even be able to wait till you get home or get in the privacy of somewhere, not care who's around, not give a fuck about anything except getting your fix. That's sad to me. That's addiction. That It is what it is. And that's absolutely what it looks like. But it's just like, that's just a bummer to see, man. I hate to see that, right? I hate to see other people going through that. And I probably sat at that light for over five minutes 
And finally, the black guy sat up a little bit, but he was so fucked up, he couldn't even light his own cigarette. And he like half nodded off while fumbling with the lighter. And I drove away thinking, that's never a place I want to end up. Blasted in broad daylight on a street corner for the whole world to see. That's never going to be me. That's that's never going to be me. And I went about the rest of my day hustling from rider to rider. But it was like a brief reminder of how dark things can get if you let them. And just kind of a sad moment. Okay, that's it for Uber stories. Uh, Before I jump into some sports stuff, I gotta let you know my friends at Four Roses would like me to remind you that winning deserves a worthy reward, so you should celebrate life's wins with Four Roses family of award-winning bourbons. Louisville Cardinals, the ones that are over 21, you just got your first win of the season. I bet you'd probably like to celebrate in a high-class fashion, right? First win of the season, COVID, you didn't think you were going to be here, now you're here. For those of you that are over 21, hopefully the next time you reach for a bottle to celebrate a win, you reach for a bottle of Four Roses bourbon, my friends. Always remember to be mellow and be responsible. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Yeah, Louisville and WKU. The thing that jumped out to me was, at least in in this first game, and I'm going to try not to make too much out of this first game because, you know, shortened season, weird season, we're going to have to wait and see, but... um, Louisville's offense was really boomer bust like the entire time. You know, they might rush the ball three yards here, loss of three yards here, two yards here, but then they would bust a long one off or these long passes, Cunningham down the field. And some of them, like, some of them should not have been completed. Um, there's a, like Cunningham throws the ball and he gets bailed out because his receiver, like, narrowly gets avoided and narrowly avoids this kill shot. He basically hung this dude out to dry. Um, but it was like, Perfectly placed ball, should have probably been intercepted. Receiver steps in. And then another one where Fitzpatrick steps like right in front of the safety, playing center field, about to make an easy pick. He steps right in front of him, catch, okay, long catch, you know, boom play. Um, man, I, it, it's, it was like feast or famine the whole game. I mean, really, really was. So I, I want to see some more consistency. Uh, the special teams unit sucks. That punter and everything that was going on there, that was atrocious to watch. That was like... And then, like, the 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 punter jawing back and forth with the fan, like, that's just not a good look. You know, I get it, but that's just not a good look. Um, you know, here's the thing. I, I thought about this sitting there watching that. When you have reduced capacity and there's less fans in the stadium, but you still have fans... You know, if you're a player on the field, it's kind of easy to drown out the background noise, right? You might hear people yelling, and you might hear, like, make out a word or something, but you're in the game flow, your coach is talking to you, you're you're you're, you're locked in, you're watching what's going on, so you really don't have, like, uh, the same attention on the crowd as you do when there's less people there, which, which sounds kind of crazy, but, like, think about it. If there are way less people, and you scream something, and you're yelling at a player then they're going to hear it. Like, it's going to be a lot louder. The players are going to hear it. You hear everything. So that that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, right? If you do something great, you might kind of, like, like having somebody yell at you and being like, hey, great play, man. You, you're awesome out there, whatever. Like, But if you screw up and somebody's criticizing you, then that, that, that might kind of suck. And I, I thought about that sitting there. Like, yeah, less fans, That that's something you got to deal with. So... Uh, and watching U of L's punter Lupo, I think that's his name, John back and forth to somebody. 
Just not a good look, man. Just not a good look. But, uh, hey, congratulations. Cards open up the season with a win. They got Miami this week. Uh, College game day is going to be there. Last year, the Canes absolutely blasted Louisville. Jaron Williams threw for six touchdowns, set a school record, and Satterfield at that time was flipping back and forth between Cunningham and Evan Conley. Uh, Louisville's secondary this year is a lot of the same guys that were on that team last year, plus a couple of transfers, though. So they're hopefully improved, but we know Miami has definitely upgraded at the quarterback spot with Derek King. But last year on paper, like these teams were neck and neck on the stat sheet. But turnovers, Louisville had three, Miami had none. And penalties, Louisville had 14 for 121 yards. That killed Louisville. That, that absolutely killed Louisville. Louisville actually outgained them in total yards. But turnovers and penalties killed them. And that shitty play in the secondary, man, that was that was really... And that was something they dealt with all season long. Uh, but the cards are two-and-a-half-point favorites on betonline.ag. And I'm thinking this might be stupid, but I'm going cards. I'm going cards this weekend. I think they clean up the stupid mistakes. I think Cunningham, from where he was last year to where he's at now, what he showed us in the bowl game, I think he's solid. I think this might be a shootout, okay? King was the team's leading rusher last game for Miami. And last week, Louisville let WKU's quarterback, Piggy T, right? Tyrone Pigham or whatever his name is. Piggy T, they called him. I kept thinking, are they saying Benny T on the screen? No, Piggy T. Uh, He ran around for 68 yards and was the team's leading rusher against UofL. And I'm still scarred from what Lynn Bowden did to UofL at the end of last year that I can't forget about uh, 284 yards and four touchdowns. Like, how does that happen? Um, so Louisville obviously kind of has a weakness in these dual threat quarterbacks. And even though I know Bowden wasn't throwing the ball around, it was just like, how can you, you know, that's even worse. You know exactly what he's going to do. He still gashes you for almost 300 fucking yards, man. So Louisville struggles with that. Okay. And we know that King is going to get his, um, on the ground and throwing, but if Louisville can just get out of their own way, they'll win this game, limit the turnovers, and pray to God that the guys that they brought in the secondary, the Liberty Transfer and the other guy, I can't remember where he's from, um, pray to God that they are improvements, and the guys that were in this game last year are now on a new level as well, okay? Louisville's offense can keep up. I really believe that. Louisville has a good offense, man. It's the other two phases of the game where they're struggling and they're falling behind. So I think Louisville's offense can keep up. There's no doubt about it. And by the way... Derek King is a transfer, and this year has been impacted by COVID. Duh, obviously, right? So, but it's not like he's he's a first year guy. It's not like he's had a bunch of reps in practices or a bunch of time to fit in with the new system. Manny Diaz is in a second year. I who knows what 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 he's gonna do uh, in terms of if he's a good coach, if he can coach or not. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm rolling cards here. And then there's really, there's no other lines that I'm looking at this weekend. Like, if 44-point spreads are your thing, Clemson plays Citadel. And the last time they played in 2017, Clemson won 61-3. to And with no traditional spring or scrimmages or anything, I got to think that no matter if it's the first team or the third team that Clemson has on the field, Clemson is going to be foot on the gas, go, go, go. We're going to get our reps in and get this stuff on tape and practice this stuff against the live defense. And if we score every time we have the ball, well, that's the point now, isn't it? So I think it'll be ugly. Um, Like I said, if 44-point spreads are your thing, Clemson, Citadel, probably going to get out of hand pretty quickly. And then the same thing with UNC. 
I think UNC, I, I got it wrong. I thought that, uh, I think typically when, when programs or franchises, organizations, um, even businesses, okay, they make hiring decisions rooted in nostalgia. They think just because they won with somebody once upon a time that they're going to come back and it's going to bring them back to the promised land and relevancy and all that stuff. And UNC hired Mac Brown, who had been hanging around after Texas on broadcasts. And I'm like, is it going to work? I don't know. It, it did once upon a time, but that was so long ago, man. And um, to this point, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. Mac Brown and UNC is rolling. And Sam Howell, their quarterback, he's a big part of it. He's really good. He is a legitimately solid quarterback. And their offense gets buckets. They play Charlotte this weekend. They're 30-point favorites. They'll probably cover that. Those are really the only three. Louisville, uh, minus 2.5. And, a half, and uh, Clemson, minus 44. And UNC, minus 30. But I'm, I'm really like not making... Um, those as uh, official picks. I'm I'm not betting on those. Um, I might take that U of L minus two and a half one, but I'm th- those are not official picks. I'm just I'm just kind of like looking ahead, right? Rest of the ACC. Let's look ahead to them. Florida State. Florida State was trash this last weekend. James Blackman threw for a buck ninety eight, a pick and a touchdown. They lost to Georgia Tech. Florida State lost to Georgia Tech. A team that just had three wins last season. They looked awful. And my girlfriend, she's a big Florida State fan. Her mom's a big Florida State fan. So I was kind of giving them shit watching Florida State lose as uh, I was waiting to watch Louisville begin on Saturday. But Louisville plays them at home on October 24th. And I got to think that either Jordan Travis or even maybe Chubba Purdy is starting by then because James Blackman is just not it, Chief. He is not the guy. He was awful. He has been. People don't realize this, maybe. He's been there for four years. He took over when Francois got hurt against Bama. He played that whole 2017 season, and then he couldn't keep the job the next year when Francois came back. Um, so that was kind of like a telltale sign. And because Francois, he was not a good quarterback. Like he really wasn't that great of a quarterback. They go five and seven that year. The next year, he went back and forth with Alex Hornerbrook. Remember the transfer from I think Wisconsin? Went back and forth with that dude for an entire year. Could never like really establish himself as a starter. Had plenty of opportunities. Florida State finished six and seven that season. Um now we're here. And I'm I'm just telling you. Louisville should beat Florida State this year, and that I think that needs to happen. I need to see that uh, from Satterfield. Uh, hell, they should even be favored. Like they're going to be at home. Um, I, I think if 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 Louisville does not beat Florida State this year, then then the people who were already giving, uh, you know, kind of like wanting to heat up. Uh, Satterfield's seat last year, at the end of last year, they're going to have a fucking field day, man. And looking at the rest of Louisville's schedule, like I think they're going to lose to Notre Dame, but outside of maybe stumbling here or there, like a fluke kind of thing, who else on Louisville's schedule do you really feel that they don't stand a chance against? Not many teams, man. They got lucky. They got a good draw. They don't have to play Clemson. They don't have to play UNC. They play Florida State, who's who's you know having an off year. 
bad year, bad couple years, whatever. Just not, you know, their first year head coach, Mike Norvell. Um, Cowherd keeps talking about this. The teams in the NFL that are on first year quarterbacks, first year coaches, same thing with college football. If you have a brand new system, brand new coach, brand new scheme, brand new quarterback, brand new whatever the fuck, then you are dealing with a disadvantage because you just haven't had enough time because of COVID to get comfortable and get everything kind of rolling. And especially without these games, like those three or four little cupcake games that uh, Power 5 conferences schedule out with people, you're just, those are tune-up games, man. That's why I'm saying, like, uh, Clemson, they don't have any of those games outside of Citadel. So if they blast Citadel by 77 points, then what's it to them? They need to do that in order to feel comfortable going ahead with the rest of their ACC schedule. It's just going to happen. So... But, you know, Louisville got a really good draw in their ACC schedule. And I don't, looking at those teams on it, like Wake Forest and Syracuse, and like, I just don't think that, um, I, I don't think that anybody really poses that much of a threat to, to Louisville. And and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's dumb, but uh, you're dumb. <laughs> you know, there you go. What do you think about that one? All right. Uh, but one more week, man. One more week of these lame games. Uh, and then, uh, there, cause there's like a bunch of big 12 teams not playing. I, Oklahoma's not playing this weekend, whatever Clemson, they're playing Citadel one more week of games like that. And then we are really going to get some real college football weekends, SEC football, baby. They'll be rolling. ACC is going to be a couple weeks in. They'll be rolling the big 12 rolling. It sounds like even the big 10 and the pac 12 might at some point, move forward with the season. Sounds like Big Ten, that decision could be imminent. It's probably come out by the time that I'm taping this on a Tuesday night, and I just haven't seen it. Uh, But the Pac-12 sounded like maybe they were looking at November, mid-November maybe. Um, They're going to come back, but Kentucky, they're going to open up their season September 26th at Auburn, and then we've got SEC football. And then the world will really kind of feel normal again. Besides the coaches wearing the masks on the sidelines, which there, and, and like I was, uh, in the NFL, these coaches got busted or, or there was like a mandate that went out a memo and basically Sean McVay on the big Sunday night football game wasn't wearing a mask at all. And some of the coaches are, and some of them aren't. Apparently the NFL sent out this memo that they were going to start finding coaches for not wearing them. But, but I'm just like sitting there like, Time out, dude. Like, I listen, I am not anti mask. I, I wear a mask with my writers. I wear a mask into the gym. I wear a mask grocery shopping, like, whatever. But if you have these teams and the coaches are around their players and they're testing so frequently, like, why do the coaches need to wear it? You know, I don't get that. I really don't. Because in the meetings and in the locker room and and that kind of stuff, like they're not wearing those around their teams. So why are they wearing them on the sidelines when that team is the only people that they're really kind of exposed to? And I, I guess their families, but the players, I mean, they're probably seeing, you know, they're they're. I don't think they're. I don't know. And they they might be partying. I don't know. You know, but like they're not probably going home as much as seeing their family. But maybe their family lives close. But I just like to me. If the players are going to not wear masks, then why make the coaches wear the masks? If you want to wear a mask as a coach, fine. But if you don't want to wear one, like Sean McVay or like any of the other coaches that we've seen on the sidelines, I just that's just like a, a disconnect to me. You know, like it really is. If the players don't have to wear them, then why make the coaches on the sidelines wear them when it's not like the coaches are going to hang out with fans in the stands if there's even fans in the stadium that they're playing in. 
Just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense. Uh, NFL stuff, yeah. Talked a little bit about it. I mean, it was really great to, you know, week one in the NFL. Honestly, there are, because every team, besides like Jacksonville, I mean, maybe you're into the Minshew magic thing. I'm not. I, I can tell you this. I'm not into Jacksonville football. Uh, whenever I used to collect cards as a kid, I would always... I would always, uh, I was really like organized with the way that I would keep my teams together. And Jacksonville Jaguars, they were always the very last team in any binder. I have always hated the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's never going to change. So I'm not, I'm just not watching them. I'm just not watching them. But outside of them, really, like even the Bengals, like when is the last time that I could honestly say I am excited to watch a Bengals football game or I'm at least remotely interested in it? Probably never. Maybe when they had Terrell Owens. That is actually the only time, all right? I love T.O., okay? Uh, but the Bengals, Joe Burrow, like the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater. I am, I, I. by the way, I have officially renounced my fandom as a Bears fan. I am now a Carolina Panthers fan, and I am now a Baltimore Ravens fan, okay, for Teddy and for Lamar. And if I had to pick between the two, I know that the Ravens will go farther, but I, I don't know, man. I like I like the OGs. I love Lamar. I Don't get me wrong. I fucking love Lamar. But Teddy, to me, just ushered in um, what Lamar kept rolling and built upon. So Teddy... I think he should get a lot of that credit. Plus, he's just such a fucking nice dude. And I'm just a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater. So the fact that he's rolling with Joe Brady, and I know they they lost. They they did lose. They lost to the Raiders. Um, but, man, things he's going to have a good season. Teddy's going to have a good season. And I'm look. I'm watching all these teams. The Patriots, yeah, it sucks. Like the Buccaneers, um, you know, getting Tom Brady, and then the Patriots. Will are they going to suck? They've got Cam Newton now. Oh, okay, I want to see that. Like until the Dolphins put in Tua and the Chargers with Tarad, they're going to play Herber at some point, right? Um, I'm just. I've never been as interested in watching just even like five minutes of all these different teams that I never have before, and it's great. It it, it really is great. And I have six fantasy football teams. I know I am I am a degenerate uh, this year. I don't know why. Um, last year I was in I was in three leagues. Last year I had three teams. One of them was a fourteen man league. It's just really hard, and that's boring. Like nobody wants to. I don't want to see scores that are like you know seventy to eighty five. You know that's just boring to me. That's not that's no fun. So this year I uh, I said I'm not going to be in any league that's over 10 man. So I have an OG league with a handful of best friends that I'm in and we it's like 10 person league and then somehow I didn't even know they did 6 man leagues but we did a 6 man league and basically it is uh, my uh, you know like six of my best friends <laughs> a, a a some of the savage six not all the savage six but uh, definitely Savage Six material uh, in, in the six that we have in this six-man league. But, um, dude, the scores are, like, in the 200s, so that's really fun. And then outside of that, I just didn't, like, last season, I felt like I had three teams, and once I realized they were going to lose, I was like, dude, fuck that. Like, I hate watching this. I don't even want to watch the NFL anymore. I'm sitting on the couch for, like, 18 hours a day watching all this college football by the time Sunday rolls around and my fantasy team suck I just can't I, I can't, I'm just not I'm not there I can't get there but this year I did four other drafts in just random just ra- random leagues man on ESPN.com and I basically have half of the league like rostered somewhere on on one of these teams but you know what I'm just 
I am guaranteed to have a winning season somewhere <laughs> just because I've got six of them, you know? So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated as we go. I know that's like fantasy football teams are like, uh, like, like I make this joke. And obviously, if you tell me about your kids or if a writer tells me about their kids, like I, I actually do care. But most people, if you have somebody, a parent that's bragging about their kids, oh, they just scored a 26 on their ACT. Oh, they just got accepted to Yale. And they're just like going on and on and on. It's the same thing with fantasy fantasy football teams dude if you sit there and want to talk to me for 15 minutes about your fantasy football team I'm like dude I don't give a fuck like I don't give a fuck like good for you I hope you win every game but I fucking don't care who you're starting on your team you know um and it's like it's that's like with most people you know like my brother or like my friends or if I ask then like that's obviously I'm asking because I want to know but if it's just a random off the street and they're telling about your fantasy football team it's like a random off the street telling them about all the great achievements that their kid has done when you've got kids and you're like dude I want my kids to be better than yours like my kids are the best what do you mean I you know that's just uh, I've had that take for a while but so, uh, <laughs> and I say all of that to say this, I am not somebody that's going to come on here and just tell you about like how great my fantasy teams are or how shitty my fantasy teams are. Like I really don't try to talk about it because I know you don't care. I know you don't care. But I was just saying, and I just bring it up to say this, I got six teams and it's finally fun again for me. It's finally, I'm having some fun with it. So now watch, it's week one. Uh, how quickly that optimism fades. You know, you look at a team before they played that you've drafted, and you're like, man, this is going to be a great year. This is going to be my year. Week one hits, you're like, fuck. You know, like, here we go again, you know? So we'll see if I'm this optimistic, and I'll just check in periodically uh, from time to time. But but yeah, man, that's all I got. Uh, we went pretty deep on this one. This is how these are going to go. You know, I'll do some sports stuff and have some fun with it towards the end of the Uber stories. But the Uber stories, that's that's really what I want to continue to focus on and interviews on Friday. So I, uh, I hope you enjoyed. If you did, let me know. I love seeing new reviews on the podcast. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, excuse me, Twitter and Instagram at BennyTomp18. I am on Facebook at Real Talk W Benny T. And that's where you can follow along to get information about the show, updates, new guests, new sponsors, all that kind of good stuff, man. So thank you so much for listening. I will uh, talk to you guys on Friday. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk. <laughs>